0: This evening I'd like to speak about acceptance. Meditation, I feel, is very much an art of peace and of peacemaking. And the art of peacemaking, I feel, has much to do with the quality of acceptance we are able to carry in our heart. There's a great challenge in understanding how to live in peace within a world which presents us with so many possibilities of struggle and conflict. It's a great challenge to learn how to live in peace with ourselves, how to live with ourselves in a way in which we feel not burdened, by struggle and by denial or judgment. There is a great art to learning how to live with life's challenges and hardships. There's a great art to learning how to find light within the darkness we meet at times in our world and in our own hearts. There's a great art in learning how to heal ourselves and heal our world. And one of the keys to this art, it seems to me, is understanding what acceptance is really about. Learning how to accept with generosity and wisdom the shadows and the darkness we find in our world, and learning to bring the same wisdom and compassion to embrace the shadows that we find in our own personal world. And I feel as most of us travel on a path of understanding, we see how clearly and how closely interconnected our outer worlds and our inner worlds actually are. Acceptance, or the art of acceptance, is one of the most profound challenges we ever meet in our lives and ever meet in our spiritual journeys. To understand acceptance, we are asked to understand our own fears. To understand acceptance, we are asked to understand what it means to be remarkably humble in our lives and to find the courage for forgiveness and for compassion. Above all else, To really understand acceptance, we are asked to learn the skill of emptying and clearing our own hearts and minds so that we can listen and see in new and in deep ways, so that in a very real way we can be present in our world with a quality of innocence and open-heartedness. Acceptance challenges us deeply. As we attune ourselves to the condition of our world, we often do experience feelings of despair, of rage, and of powerlessness. There are times when we feel appalled and horrified by the seemingly bottomless capacity of human beings inflict pain and suffering upon one another. When we look at our world, at times I think probably most of us feel bewildered at at human being's capacity for violence and for destruction, and to live with heedlessness and greed that destroys our planets and our communities. It is difficult in the midst of, of all of this to really understand what acceptance means. And we might even find ourselves very very validly questioning whether acceptance is actually the appropriate response to the conflict that we meet in our world. Acceptance challenges us in a relationship to the world. It is also a challenge in our relationships with other people. I think many parents find themselves feeling incredibly judgmental of themselves to discover that there are moments in their lives, when never mind accepting, they discover they don't even like their own children at times. Then I think that there are real moments for every parent when they meet with their child and they say, I don't really want to be with this person. It challenges all our notions of what a parent should feel, and especially what a spiritual parent should feel. Acceptance is difficult in our personal worlds. There are moments for all of us in our lives when our personal worlds are filled with tragedy, with loss, with death, with rejection, with failure. These are common human experiences. And there is no human being who is powerful enough or invincible enough to avoid pain. There is no defense strong enough that makes us invulnerable to life's challenges and changes. And there are times in these moments of darkness when we do struggle with many of these experiences, an attempt to make sense of them, attempt to find some meaning in them. There are times when we meet moments of darkness and we feel to be a victim or overwhelmed, or sometimes just angry about life's injustices or seeming unfairness. Our capacity for acceptance is challenged by life's unpredictability. Our capacity for acceptance is also challenged by our own inner life and its unpredictability. I think we can probably appreciate what a rare gift acceptance is, total acceptance, to receive it or to be able to offer it. Many people in searching their hearts discover that there has never been one person in their life who accepted them totally and unconditionally. Many people, in searching their own hearts, discover actually that there is not one single other person that they accept totally and unconditionally. Within so many of our relationships, Conditions and judgment has become their currency. I accept you if you fulfill my expectations, my images, my desires, my needs. I am accepted by you if I fulfill your needs, your images, your desires, your expectations. And if I displease you, if I offend you, I may be rejected. If you displease me, if you offend me, if you threaten me, I may reject you. Self-acceptance is also no easy lesson for us to learn. For many people, if they have never really known what it means in their lives to be fully accepted by another, they are easily exiled, from knowing deeply what it means to accept themselves. And there may be much in our own hearts and minds that we hold with suspicion, with mistrust, with aversion. How many of you may have found yourself at times in your life appalled by your own capacity for anger, or for rage, or for rejection? Sometimes we are appalled by our own capacity for judgment, or for denial. And sometimes we fear these feelings. Sometimes we fear the power of our own anger, our own hungers, our own needs. We're often aware of how much inner rejection goes on, When we hear in such a pervasive and frequent way the voice of the judge within us who is endlessly seeking imperfection and fault and blame. And I think this is so true also, not only for people on retreats who become aware of the judge, but many also parents become so attuned to the voice of the judge. You know, I think especially for people who have you know, traveled a path in their lives, a traveled a spiritual path for people who have sat, who have given time to nurturing themselves, for people who have been exposed to the Dharma, who hear so often the values of peace, the values of compassion, the values of forgiveness, the values of generosity. It is so easy to adopt these words as kind of censoring techniques for ourselves or ways of evaluating ourselves on a moment-to-moment level. And so many people have turned or tend to turn many of these concepts or qualities into a kind of inner watchdog that says, you know, oh, if I was really loving, I never would have said that. You know, if I was really spiritual, I never would have shouted at my child. You know, if I was a really compassionate person, of course I would have been more patient with that child. And look how I was. And so many parents, and especially parents who have some spiritual path, gain such expertise in using their path to sabotage their own well-being or to somehow undermine their own intentionality, the the goodness of their own intentionality. There are also, I think, many points, and I think it's a valid question, where we really question the wisdom of acceptance. You know, even as we see the consequences of judgment and rejection, whether it's towards others or towards ourselves, We see the consequences of judgment are distance, division, mistrust, suspicion, and pain. And even as we experience the consequences of judgment, I think we also at times have some great ambivalence about acceptance. We fear that if we accept it, if we really accept it, our own shadows and demons, that they might just overwhelm us. We like the idea of accepting ourselves, but also fear at times that acceptance is just a prescription for continuing imperfection. And I think it's really important to clarify, I would like to clarify, the way that I'm using the word acceptance. both in the path of meditation and in the path of our relationships. Acceptance does not mean condoning everything. It does not mean assuming a passive stance in our lives where we say, you know, if there's something we dislike or disagree with or object to in our world, that it's just a question of us becoming more perfect and more spiritual. Acceptance doesn't mean believing that everything in the world is acceptable. There is actually much in our world that is not acceptable. If something leads to pain and to sorrow and to conflict and to division, it is not acceptable. If there is something in thought or in word or in action that leads to suffering and to pain, it is not acceptable because it leads to suffering. This does not mean rejecting the person, rejecting the, the human being from which these words or actions or speech may come, whether it's ourselves or another. But it does really mean having the discriminating wisdom and the courage to be able to say no. Acceptance is not adopting a stance of passivity. You know there's no discriminating wisdom in this. If you see, you know, your child outside, you know, chasing some other kid with a crowbar, you know, it's not a, it's not wisdom or acceptance to say, "Well, that's their karma, you know, and they're going to work it out between them, you know." And I'm sure, you know, they'll all end up as they need to end up. This has nothing to do with acceptance. This is actually retreating into a kind of muddledness where we don't actually perceive correctly what leads to suffering and what ends suffering. And both as parents and as human beings, we are asked to call upon forth from within ourselves, a remarkable level of discriminating wisdom to see what contributes to confusion and suffering, what contributes to well-being and to the end of suffering. We are asked in this path to be a conscious participant in our world and to be a conscious participant in the creation and the birth of each moment. And to do this, we need to find that balance within ourselves of a wholehearted, a deep, heartfelt acceptance and a remarkable clarity of discriminating wisdom. Acceptance is not actually a formula or a strategy of the mind. Acceptance does have much to do with our hearts our way of receiving our inner world and our outer world. Acceptance is rooted in wisdom and clarity. And acceptance is rooted in a commitment to having no enemies. Acceptance is rooted in a commitment to having no enemies and no opponents in our life. As long as we have a single enemy in our life, we cannot have peace, whether it is in our thoughts or whether it is in our world. As long as we have a single opponent, then we must resign ourselves to a life of struggle, because this is the nature of living in a world of opponents. A commitment to having no enemies is a commitment to leaving behind us the world of fear and mistrust, to entering a way of being and a way of living where we really root ourselves in our own intuition, our own understanding, our own capacity to see clearly. Commitment to having no enemies means no longer being willing to walk the path of struggle and resistance and anger. It is also a commitment to being willing to go beyond the boundaries of what we know or think we know about ourselves, about other people, about the world. It's a commitment to diving beneath our concepts and images, to touch the heart of another person, And the reality of each moment. Acceptance is actually the gift of love, of compassion, of of forgiveness. It is not something that is weak. Acceptance is powerfully strong. To be accepting doesn't mean to be fearful. In many ways it means to be fearless. All true human relationships that are growing are rooted in acceptance. Meditation actually begins with acceptance. You know, people actually begin on a path of meditation the moment that they're willing to set aside their struggles and their resistances. It is also, I feel, very important to understand that acceptance is not some idealized state that we arrive at at some point in the future. You know, after we've got resolved our challenges and got rid of the people that we dislike or you know got out of the circumstances that are a problem to us or perfected ourselves this is not when acceptance begins. You've probably noticed how much easier it is to accept people from a distance. You know, even if you come to sit for an hour it's far easier to accept your children from sitting in here than it is in the moment when we're with them. It is far easy to, easier to feel accepting for, of someone that we hardly ever have any contact with. You know, I think we need to be totally honest about seeing, you know, if we wait until some point in the future, it means accepting struggle in the moment. Acceptance has to do with how we are, not where we are. Acceptance has to do with the quality of our presence and our relationship are not simply the factors of those relationships. To understand acceptance, I feel we also need to understand the dynamics of non-acceptance. To really feel what is happening within us in those moments of judgment, the moments of resistance and denial and suppression. To really understand acceptance, we need to be present. This is the only moment we can ever transform in our lives, the moment we are present in. The past has already gone by, it is not something we can alter or change. The future is yet to come, it is not something we can predict or guarantee. And there is actually no better moment to be awake in than the moment we are in. Within the challenges and the hardships we encounter in our lives, we find the art of acceptance. In the moment of being with people we dislike, in the moment of judging ourselves, The moments of anger and greed and dependency, none of these are actually our opponents. Our opponents lie in our resistance and in our denial. These are the true opponents we need to be willing to embrace in our lives, our own inclinations towards resistance and denial. I'd like to read you a story some of you may know. You may well be able to relate to quite well. The poor man had come to the end of his rope, so he went to his rabbi for advice. Holy rabbi, he cried, things are in a bad way with me and are getting worse all the time. We are poor, so poor, that my wife, my six children, my in-laws, and I have to live in a one-room hut. We get in each other's way all the time. Our nerves are frayed, and because we have plenty of troubles, we quarrel. Believe me, my home is a hell, and I'd sooner die than continue living this way. The rabbi pondered the matter gravely. My son, he said, promise to do as I tell you, and your condition will improve. I promise, rabbi, answered the troubled man, I'll do anything you say. Tell me, what animals do you own? I have a cow, a goat, and some chickens. Very well, go home now and take all of these animals into your house to live with you. The poor man was dumbfounded, but since he'd promised the rabbi, he went home and brought all of the animals into his house. The following day, the poor man returned to the rabbi and cried, Rabbi, what a misfortune have you brought upon me. I did as you told me and brought the animals into the house. And now what have I got? Things are worse than ever. My life is a perfect hell. The house is turned into a barn. Save me, Rabbi, help me. My son replied the rabbi serenely, go home and take the chickens out of your house. God will help you. So the poor man went home and took the chickens out of his house. But it wasn't long before he again came running to the rabbi. Holy rabbi, he wailed, help me, save me. "'The goat is smashing everything in the house. "'She's turning my life into a nightmare.' "'Go home,' said the rabbi gently, "'and take the goat out of the house. "'God will help you.' "'The poor man returned to his house and removed the goat. "'But it wasn't long before he again came running to the rabbi, lamenting. "'What a misfortune you've brought upon my head, rabbi. "'The cow has turned my house into a stable. "'How can you expect a human being to live side by side with an animal?' You're right, a hundred times right, agreed the rabbi. Go straight home and take the cow out of your house. And the poor unfortunate hastened home and took the cow out of his house. Not a day had passed before he again came running to the rabbi. Rabbi, cried the poor man, his face beaming, you've made my life sweet again. With all the animals out, the house is so quiet, so roomy and so clean. What a delight. That which makes us most angry in our lives, that which we most fear, that which we most judge, that which we have the most aversion to, this is what we must be willing to turn towards. The shadows we find in ourselves, in our personal world, The hardships we encounter in our lives, as long as we regard them as an opponent, as an enemy, then we have abandoned learning because we have closed our hearts. The moment that we close our hearts, we only want distance. We reject, we want to be away from, and the moment that we lose connection, Then we live in a world of images and conclusions. To turn towards that which we most fear and most judge is the first and the most significant step in acceptance, in learning about openness. To befriend, to turn towards that which makes us most angry is to sow and nourish the seeds of understanding. Many people in meditation speak about having breakthroughs. But it seems to me that the most significant breakthrough we ever make in meditation, the most significant breakthrough we make in our relationships, is the willingness to break through our resistances to being simply with what is to stripping away our conclusions and our judgments and our aversions and our suspicions, and to be simply and calmly and willingly present just with what is. To say that I know you, I have no more to learn, I want to get away, this is an abandonment of what is possible for us. Non-acceptance wears many faces. One of the faces that non-acceptance wears is should. The gap between what is and what should be is one of the most unbridgeable gaps we will ever meet in our lives. How many times we create struggles out of should, and what is a should but an expectation that we have invested in about ourselves, about another person, about our children. Have you ever found yourself in a position with your children where you say, you shouldn't be doing that? I've already told you a thousand times, you know, not to knock your head against the wall, or, you know, not to throw your food on the ground, or, you know, not to mash your spaghetti in your hair. I've told you a thousand times to pick up your things after you. You should have learned this by now. Well, a little humility is actually discovered when we come and sit ourselves. How many times have we fallen over the same stones in our meditation? How many times have we actually seen, oh yeah, well, you know, judgment leads to tension, or how many times have we seen in our own meditation, oh yes, resistance or aversion leads to distance. How many times have we seen in our meditation You know that craving leads to suffering. And may I ask how many times we have to learn these lessons? And do we not, in our own practice, do we not say, oh yes, there I go again, I blew it again. Well, I have a choice in that moment. I can be totally judgmental or I can simply begin again. Now we know for ourselves in our own practice, that to hold over ourselves this umbrella of should, does it help? No, we have to keep learning the same lessons, it seems, until we absorb them in a cellular level. Do we learn well in our meditation when we shout at ourselves? You know, you shouldn't have done that. You should have known better. You've done that before. You've been there before. We don't actually learn well in our meditation when we shout at ourselves. There's you know, some teaching we, we gather from this, that you know shoulds are actually not a path to learning. Shoulds are actually a path to tension and to more resistance. It, many times we have to teach the same lessons over and over again, just as we ourselves have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. And we know for ourselves that we learn most deeply when we are patient, when we let go of our judgments, when we form no images, when we draw no conclusions, when we engage in no rejection, when we are able to embrace ourselves with a calm and compassionate patience, we learn most deeply. I suspect it is the same for our children. And this is one of the lessons we are also learning again and again and again. Being aware of our shoulds and how little change is within them. What really allows a process of change is real clarity, is steadfastness, is discriminating wisdom. Above all, it is compassion. Non-acceptance, where's the face of the judge? Sometimes we're not always aware of the judge. On a conceptual level, we feel it in our bodies. When we pull away or we recoil from something or we feel that kind of aversion within ourselves, being aware every moment we pull away, Every moment, we are obedient to our own aversions. We create a history for the next moment. Now think of the images that are formed out of judgment and aversion. You know, somebody offends you here. Somebody offends, somebody always offends us on retreats. You know, it might be the way something they do, the way they eat, the way they walk. And we find ourselves being so judgmental, you know, and feeling such aversion. And unless we pause, really pause for a moment in that very moment of aversion, we take those judgments and those images away with us. Well, how do we feel when we next meet that person? How open do we feel? How clearly do we see them? Or do we simply see our images? Do we simply see the image we have formed that says, you are like this? You are like this, just as we create those same images for ourselves. I think we really need to be aware that judgments and images can never describe the present. They can only describe the past. Images and judgments can only describe the past. They are not an accurate assessment of the present. And so often when we hold on to an image that is based on a judgment, we actually deny change. We actually deny the possibility of change and of learning. It's a short story, a short thing I'd like to read to you. It's a conversation between an elderly man and a young person, and the elderly man says, I have a friend, a woman I know already many years. One day she's mad at me, from nowhere it comes. I have insulted her, she tells me. How? I don't know. Why don't I know? Because I don't know her. She surprised me, that's good. That is how it should be. You cannot tell someone, I know you. People jump around. They are like a ball, rubbery, they must bounce. A ball cannot be long in one place. Rubbery, it must jump. So what do you do to keep a person from jumping? The same as with a ball. You take a pin and stick it in. Make a little hole. The ball goes flat. When you tell someone, I know you, you put a little pin in. So what should you do? Leave them be. Don't try to make them stand still for your convenience. You don't ever know them. Let people surprise you. This likewise you could do concerning yourself. I think the path of meditation is truly an alternative path in our culture, where we learn so early in our lives about the pathways of avoidance or the pathways of numbness or the pathways of distractedness, to be truly willing and committed in our hearts to learning and to opening and to understanding. Is truly a path of great possibility. It is a willingness to step out of those familiar pathways which lead only to distance. Transformation in our lives actually begins with our willingness to befriend and to listen to our own moments of struggle and aversion. In this we know we have the capacity to heal ourselves and our world. The moment that we turn towards that which we struggle with, we begin to understand the choices that are offered to us in our lives between distance and communion, between division and oneness, between separation and intimacy, these choices are only ever possible for us when we are willing to turn towards whatever we struggle with. So much of meditation is actually learning to have confidence in our choices. It's a story of a person who is in the midst of a great nightmare. where It was being chased by the most horrible demons. And it was one of those awful nightmares where he was running and running and running and never seeming to get anywhere. And finally exhausted, he fell down on the ground, hearing this monster breathing down his neck, and the monster jumped on his back. And the man, terrified, shouted, Alas, alack, what will become of me now? What should I do? And the monster said, I don't know, it's your dream. Well, this is our particular dream. No one knows but us what our choices are. No one can follow or explore those choices but ourselves. Meditation is not just a practice of calmness, of serenity, of inner stillness. It is also so much a practice of reflection, of questioning, of investigation, of bringing a loving attention into our lives and into our hearts, to really question Who or what in our lives in this moment do we hold to be an obstacle? Do we hold to be an enemy? Who or what in our lives in this moment do we find ourselves struggling with or rejecting? And to ask ourselves, is there another way? What other way is possible for us? The Buddha once said, there are many pathways available to us in this life when we are faced with suffering and pain and struggle. One of the pathways is the pathway of succumbing, being a victim, Why did this happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? Why is life so unfair? Another pathway is the path of blame. It's all your fault. It's all someone else's fault. I didn't deserve this. It's because of your stuff, your problems that I'm suffering this. Another pathway is the pathway of guilt. I must have done something to deserve this. I'm sure in this life or another life or because of the way I am, I must have done something to deserve all this suffering. And another pathway the Buddha described as a pathway of meditation is to, to turn towards all that we struggle with and to ask ourselves, what is the nature of this suffering? From where does it come, and what is the way to its ending? And it is not as if there are many magical solutions or prescriptions, because in our lives and in our hearts, only we know what it is we see as an obstacle or an enemy or an opponent. Only we know the ways which we might be withdrawing or avoiding or resisting and only within our own hearts and our own lives can we find that willingness to open, to question, and to have that willingness to begin again. No matter how many times we stumble, no matter how many times we falter or blow it, to have that willingness and the compassion for ourselves Simply to begin again and to know that that is a real choice in each moment. No matter how much history we have with impatience, with rejection, with harshness, that is a real choice in each moment. That capacity to begin anew and to see each moment as a new moment with untold possibilities for us. we could just have a minute quietly together. May all beings live with calmness of mind. May all beings live with generosity of heart. May all beings live with acceptance.